Welcome to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris DeRoe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives and works in Burlington, Ontario, and runs an advisory practice named Three Hats Financial. Let's get to it. Welcome back to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth with Chris Durow of Three Hats Financial. I'm Patrice Sikora. Chris's guest today is Greg Carrasco, and the topic is something many of us have probably wrestled with at one time or another, how to best buy a new or used vehicle. But now, in these days of COVID-19, it's a very different subject. Greg has quite the curriculum vitae, so Chris, I'm going to turn this over to you to give us the insight into Greg. Thanks, Patrice. Yes, I'm very excited for today's show. And thanks, Greg, for agreeing to come on. I really, really appreciate that. I definitely have a very vested interest in this because right now my wife and I are currently looking for new wheels for her since we've kind of outgrown the family wagon. So we're going to we're going to car dealerships and that. And uh, like I said, I'm very curious to some of your answers today. So Greg, yes, definitely has quite the resume. He has a very popular show on TSN 1050 that he'll tell us about. He's been labeled as one of the most influential and largest automotive radio shows in Canada. And that comes with over 27 years of experience he's had in the automotive industry and is just very well known as well as in, as being a very influential automotive type think tank. How Greg and I met was we met, shook hands, and within 10 seconds, I felt get myself getting very wheezy because Greg had choked me out completely. <laughs> and that may sound very weird to my listeners, but Greg and I both do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he's obviously a much higher level than me and also a very good teacher. So that's how we first uh, initially met. So Greg, I'll just let you jump in here and give us a bit more of your background and your show. Thank you for that interesting introduction. Yeah, that was the first time I met you, I think. It's, it's very common in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You, you shake hands with somebody and then you just try to choke them out. <laughs> it just happens. And somehow that develops a different kind of trust and camaraderie. But, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on the show, Chris. I, um, I'm an immigrant from Chile. I came here in 1989. And uh, after doing a tour with the Canadian Army, I started working car sales with Nissan back in 92. I could barely speak English at the time. And... Um, very early on, I, I enjoy a different type of success because um, I felt that telling the truth was not a common thing in the car industry. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So uh, I started to develop an interesting you know, um, client base that grew from the top salesperson in the province then the top salesperson in the country. Then I went back to university and I finished an MBA in automotive studies in the U.S. And um, I started to run car dealerships for a living. And then I just became a dealer principal, vice president of operations for you know several different dealerships. And uh, what I do now is that I take on dealerships that are not having so you know so much success, and I turn them around. So I do dealership restructure. That's that's my my job now. My life work is different. Um, I started a radio show back in uh, Global News. 13 or so years ago, and uh, I became Global News National Automotive Expert, and uh, the radio show about six years ago became the largest automotive radio show in the country. It, it's mostly because I'm not a car person. Uh, unlike what people may think, you know, you are uh, considered to be an automotive think tank, but I don't like cars. You know, for example, I drive used cars. 
uh, I have only bought one new car in my entire life. So I was able to, to provide some sort of financial common sense to the approach, an unemotional, practical approach to car buying. The, the moral compass of the, of the radio show, Chris, was very simple. If my mom was calling the show, knowing all that I knew about the car industry, what would I tell my mom? And I know it sounds simplistic, maybe even trite, if you will, but uh, I can tell you that ha that has kept us on air for, it's going to be almost a decade and a half now. And um, wow. about two months ago, I was approached by TSN and uh, the show now has moved to TSN uh, in their national network. So right now we truly are the number one automotive radio show in the country. I'm glad that you asked me to come on your show. And uh, this is this is fascinating. Now, I will tell you the truth, whatever that is, you may not like it. But, um, you know, I will do the exact same thing. If you were my mom, and you were asking me this question, why would I tell my mom? So you can ask away anything you want, Chris. All right. Well, thanks very much for that, Greg. Let's get going here, because I definitely have some questions I want to get answered. And uh, the first one is, so how has the car buying environment changed? Because obviously, a lot of ways of life have changed with the virus. Has there been a big change? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, Chris, because um, I think that more than change, I think that the car industry has been exposed. You know, in an industry that refuses to change, uh, inexperience is the only asset is what they say. But the reality is that, you know, most dealerships have been fighting the digital retailing uh, marketplace for a very long time. They just want to go back to the old ways of doing business. So it has changed because now, the transparency and radical transparency is really driving uh, new car and used car sales. And, you know, more and more dealerships are becoming used to the idea that you need to have full disclosure. That was the one thing that they had over the customer, but the internet has been a catalyst on this. So yeah, the industry is changing. Uh, it's a lot easier to buy a car today than it has ever been. Well, that's great to hear. I definitely know I've seen as, a, as a, an advisor, I've had more clients in the last few months ever contact me in regards to buying vehicles since because we just deal with everything with them i'm usually the first person to find out if they're going to buy or sell their vehicles and it's been a lot more than usual hence why i also wanted to have you on the show as well why that is is because a lot of my clients that have money set aside for vacations which can be a significant amount especially for my clients 50 60 70 they now have these funds available that they had planned to use for vacation. And now they're like, well, we have this money available. We were planning to get a new car in the next year or two or possibly three. Let's buy it now. It's interesting how the virus has even, I've assumed and heard from some individuals, actually increase new car sales. In light of that, now I'm going to start asking some of the old age questions here. When is the best time of year to buy a vehicle? And is it is it help to actually buy at the end of the month? Because you hear that a lot of times that people say, well, buy at the end of the month because the dealer doesn't even care the price at that point. They just want to get their numbers in so they can get a bonus from the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. there, is a lot of, there is a lot of narrative that, uh, that is created by the dealers <laughs> that they tell you, uh, yeah, come in at the end of the month to get a better deal. The reality is that the cost of the vehicle does not change at the end of the month or the beginning of the month. You know, it's become part of the culture but it's not true at all. Just to give you an example, um, the best time to buy a car, Chris, is when you don't need one. And I'll tell you why that is. When you need a car, you rush the process. You're not thinking objectively. You need to make a decision fast. And at that point, you get your emotions involved. And you know, the moment that your emotions get involved in a car transaction is when all the logic goes out the window. If I were to give an advice, is that buy the vehicle on your own time, not when the situation forces you to. 
So if you see that your lease is up in six months, start your process now. So when the time comes, you know what you want, you know what the budget is, and you are never overbuying. I don't think that it will make a difference to the consumer today anyways, to buy the vehicle at the beginning of the month or the end of the month, because you can argue coming at the beginning of the month because everybody wants to start the business super fast in the first two weeks. There is an argument for everything. And speaking as a dealer, I can tell you that the prices do not change as the month goes along. Okay. That's good to know because you hear that a lot, even when you Google tips on how to buy a car. Uh, you yeah, see that. You, you need to read who's writing those tips and yeah. it's often car dealers. Yeah. <laughs> now, another very common question, and I know there's a lot of moving parts to this, but if you can just in general give people some tips, yeah. lease or buy. I think that it's, it's very important for, for me to give you a background on this. The word lease doesn't exist. Leasing is just a fancy word that marketing companies came up to rename the word renting. So, you know, let's call it renting. Leasing, that's what it is. You are renting a vehicle from a manufacturer and then you have to give it back and they will charge you for all the damages and everything else that had happened to that vehicle. There are very few exceptions in which leasing is better than financing. You see, the way that I teach all the listeners of the radio show is to reduce the overall transportation cost. Now, I'm using a pragmatic, money-oriented decision-making process for them to acquire a vehicle. Now, there are some customers that just want to have a new car every three years. That's a, that's a completely subjective, personal decision that people make. But people need to know that lease, renting a vehicle every three years will put you in a perpetuating cycle in which you never own anything. Mm -hmm. So it is the most expensive way of having a car. Now, if you buy a vehicle, you pay it off. I mean, you, you extract the 0% financing because it's very common right now. You pay it off and then you drive it as long as that vehicle is alive. You service it to death. And then you know, when the time comes, you move on. Now you, you have to amortize. You know, you're a money guy, Chris. So if you take $50,000 and you amortize it over you know, five years, it's going to cost you X number of dollars annually. If you take the same amount of money and you amortize it over 12 years, then the annual amount of your transportation cost is going to be reduced so significantly that it's going to be as if you're driving a vehicle that was half the price. So a lot of people sacrifice what they want most for what they want right now. And what people want most is not to spend a lot of money in a car in the long term, but what they want right now is a new car. You know, people get confused in that segment. So if you were related to me, I would never advise you to lease a vehicle. People say, well, but I have a business, so I can write it off. Well, you can write off a finance. I, I want a new car. Well, then that's subjective. I can't help. All right. Well, thanks. That's good to know. Because when I went into a dealership the other day, I just found that the individual had mentioned, first of all, didn't really ask me much about my situation, but he was he mentioned multiple times in the conversation, well, most of my customers lease, most of my customers lease. And then I go into the dealership and there was a lot of advertising for leasing versus buying. And it just seemed like they were trying to push you one to lease more so than buying. And I was just curious that do the dealers want you to lease? Do they make more money? To, okay. So they make, it's more beneficial for them for you to lease. Yeah, but they don't, they don't make more money on a lease, Chris. It's just that they shorten your ownership cycle. Oh, you okay. See? Yeah. The, the money for dealerships is in the turn. So the more often you come back and buy another buy another vehicle and there is another transaction, the more money they will potentially make. So once they put you into a two or a three year cycle, they have you. 
So now every two or three years, it will be selling you another car. When ah, you okay. finance a vehicle, essentially you, you are free to do what you want because it's between you and the bank now. And you call your own shots. I mean, if you want to get out of a finance of a loan in three, four, five years, you can. That's one of the biggest differences between leasing and financing. The leasing does not care what ha what's happening in your life, what's happening with your work, what's happening with anything that has to do with your personal life. You need to change the lease. You need to change the lease. That's the end of that. When you have a loan, you decide when that time comes. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, puts you more in power. Of course. And yeah. dealers don't want you to have power. And yeah. this is the reason why I don't have a lot of friends in the car industry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's... Okay, so the financing now. I'm always obviously on board with if clients can get very low interest rates or 0% interest rates, yep. then of course use the dealership's money versus your own because you can do mm -hmm. other things like pay down debt that has higher interest rates or invest it and get a higher return. So obviously that makes a lot of sense. But then you hear sometimes people are like, well, it's not, they, they're advertising 0%, but it's not really 0%. Can you okay. just touch on that? Let me put it to you this way. It is not legal to advertise 0% when it's not 0%. The Ontario Motor Vehicle Industry Council here in the province of Ontario is, is, is one of the strictest councils of the automotive industry in the country. OMVIC has done a tremendous job uh, leveling the playing field, so there is no such a thing as misadvertising. Will dealers try to do different things from time to time? Sure. I mean, you know, you will find bad apples in, in every single different business. But the reality is this, that car manufacturers will give you incentives in two different ways, Chris, because you and I know that 0% does not exist. What they will do is that they will buy the rate down so you can enjoy no cost of borrowing for X number of years, or they will give you the money that they would have used to buy that rate down right up front, and then you pay the standard rate. But that option is almost always available. If the customer has the slightest inclination of paying the vehicle sooner than the duration of their loan, then my advice is almost always take the higher interest rate and the lower selling price. But if you're not intending to buy that vehicle or pay it off sooner, then take the 0%. Ultimately, it's the same thing. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is that interest in Canada is paid on a declining balance. So, for example, if you take a you know seven-year loan and you have a 6.9% interest rate and your cost of borrowing is $5,000, that is if you keep the loan for 84 months. But that doesn't mean that you have to keep the loan for 84 months. If you pay it in 48 months, then your cost of borrowing is not going to be $5,000. It could very well be $2,500. I think that there are some moving pieces here, but traditionally speaking, 0% does exist. It is a thing, but you always have the opportunity of getting the vehicle sold to you for less money at a higher interest rate if you're planning to pay it off sooner. Greg, Patrice here. Quick question for yeah. you. Yeah. What about trading in a vehicle? Is there some kind of strategy that a, a customer should have when they have a vehicle that they want to trade in? Absolutely. You know, this is a very little known fact, Patrice, and it's something that I'm very, very proud of. I have run the last seven dealerships that I have taken over without a used car manager. You see, right now, data is what drives value. So we have systems today in which you can put the, the particulars of your vehicle and the system will pull the information from all the auctions across the country, from all the marketplaces across the country, from all the dealers across the country, from all the private sellers, and it will give you a guideline of what the vehicle is worth, 
what the vehicle should be bought for wholesale, what the vehicle should be sold for retail. So the number one strategy, Patrice, and that's a very, very good question that you just asked, is the following question. You go to the dealership, you get your vehicle appraised. Let's say the dealership gives you $10,000 for a car. You ask the question to the dealer. This is the question. If I didn't buy the vehicle from you, would you still give me $10,000 for the trade-in? And if the answer to that question is no, you need to stand up and walk out because they, they are playing with the numbers and that's not what you want. Oh. The, does, that, does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. You see, the reason why when customers come in, in my two stores, I don't have commission salespeople. So my people are on salary. So their job is different than a commission salesperson. The commission salesperson wants to maximize the profit. A non-commissioned salesperson wants to maximize the experience. So what we do is the following. In the old school car dealership, you would walk in and the salesperson would be trained to find the hot spots. What is it that drives your decision? Is it safety features? Is it monthly payments? Is it trade in value? And trade places right up there because nobody wants to not get enough money for the trade, right? Let's say that a vehicle, the actual trade in value was $5,000, but the dealership had $5,000 worth of profit to play with. So now they can very easily say to you, if they determine that your hotspot is a the traded value, they'll say to you, uh, your car is worth $10,000. We won't give you any discounts on the new car, but we're going to make your vehicle worth $10,000. And you feel like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money for my trade. Take my money. But the reality <laughs> is this, that you're never going to discount. So these are the games that are being played. And uh, it is not fair because when you are dealing with someone that whose only intention is to make more money, this is exactly what's going to happen. So what you want is you want market data. You know, documentation today is the new negotiation. So I think that it's, it's important that, uh, that you validate your assumptions on the trade. Um, you know, at our stores here at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, we offer this service for free. If you want to know what your trade is worth, come in, we'll tell you. All right, Chris, I've got one other follow-up question here. I'm a woman. I walk yeah. into a dealership and yeah. am I an easy mark? Those, I think that those days are gone. Uh, and if for whatever reason you feel uncomfortable on the way that you're being treated and the way that you're being related to and the way that you're being spoken to, uh, Patrice, you just need to walk out. Mm -hmm. You have to just leave because our industry has changed so aggressively that that sort of behavior needs to be punished with dollars. If you treat me like this, you are simply not going to get my money. Now, in all of my stores, I, I have made it a point to include a large number of, of both sexes, uh, simply because, you know, there is a different relationship that you can build with people. And uh, it's very, very important today. But no, I, I can tell you unequivocally, Patrice, that buying a vehicle today is the safest that has ever been for everyone, male or female. Well, that's good news. Now, you're buying the new vehicle, you're financing or, or buying it outright, whatever, which way, yeah. extended warranties. So this is what I can tell you. The average vehicle right now in the marketplace has about 25,000 parts. Wow. And if the car was 99.9% reliable, which is at a crazy high number of reliability, that is still exposing to 1%. And if you cut that in half, you know, you have 99.95%. You are still talking about 25 parts that could potentially go wrong within the next seven years. And that right there is the safety that you have with an extended warranty. Now, let me put it to you this way, Chris. 
if you were my brother and you were buying a car and you asked me, Greg, should I get an extended warranty? I will say 100% of the time, yes. My son is in university right now and I bought him a new car. I bought him an extended warranty. You see, I, I am overinsured. I believe in underbuying and overprotecting. I just don't want to deal with the headache. And you never know what's going to happen, Chris. I mean, cars are unpredictable and two things will happen. Today, you can, you can buy an insurance policy against that extended warranty. So if you pay a few hundred dollars, they can give you most of your money back at the end of the term if you don't use the warranty. So if you don't use it, you get your money back. If you use it, you're lucky that you have it. And if you, if you still have it and you want to get rid of the vehicle, your vehicle will be worth more money because it has an extended warranty. So an extended warranty is an actual investment. I recommend that wholeheartedly to anyone that is listening to your show. You will never regret getting an extended warranty. It's the same thing with life insurance, Chris. Do you have life insurance? Yes, lots. <laughs> yeah, me too. When was the last time I died? <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's just to protect you for that eventuality. Yeah. You know, every single He's... insurance, every, every single warranty is a complete waste of money until you need it. And then you're a genius. And then you want more. <laughs> exactly. I can tell you that I have extended warranty in all my vehicles. I, I, I recommend that to all my family and friends. Okay, great. Well, that, that definitely answers that question because I always you always wonder, is the, is the dealer trying to push that because they profit so much or where are the numbers on if it's actual value to the customer? So that's great. Thanks very much for answering that. Yeah, this statistic, and if I can add to that, Chris, statistically speaking, uh, the, the rate of customer satisfactions with people that have extended warranty is like three times full to the people that don't because there's nothing that will turn you off more against a dealership and a brand than when the vehicle breaks down and you have to pay for it. So uh, dealerships also will encourage you to do this because if your engine falls out six years from now and it's free, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so the chances are that you will stay with the dealer. So, I mean, this is not a completely altruistic uh, advice that I'm telling you. I mean, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I buy it in all my vehicles. But from a dealer standpoint, of course, I will encourage you to buy something that will perpetuate the happiness that you have with my store. Okay. Well, now, now that I had mentioned, I wasn't sure about the profit that they got off extended warranties and stuff. Let's talk about what the average gross profit is that a dealer makes roughly, because I feel like there, some people get confused with that because you'll see all of a sudden an expensive SUV that there's $15,000 off the price, yep. which would make people think, holy, this dealer is making a ton of money. So then you go into another dealer for a different brand yep. and you're thinking, well, this they make so much money off me. I'm going to just sit here till I'm blue in the face and negotiate thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars off. Yep. Touch on that. Of course. It's very, very important to know that you know, whenever you see fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars off on vehicles, that does not come from the dealership, Chris. Manufacturers are terrible at this. They are terrible. They have ruined the perception of the dealers in the eyes of the consumer. Here is something to think about: the average Canadian brand of the mainstream vehicles, not Highline, mainstreams, and by that I mean Nissan, Toyota, Mazda, Volkswagen. You know, that's that's what I'm talking about. They have an average of 7.7 to 8.3% profit margin. That's it. So on a $20,000 car, the chances are that there will be a $1,400 gross profit without a discount. Anything else comes from the manufacturer and it has to be disclosed. 
So it's not that some the dealership can hide this money and not give it to you because the, the contract will not be paid by the manufacturer if the dealership conceals the rebate from the manufacturer. So they have to give it to you. Now, the average transactional gross profit on a sale in Ontario right now is $387 worth of profit on the transaction of a new vehicle. Wow. It sounds crazy. People don't believe this. But that is the reality of the business today. And I can tell you, the internet has been the catalyst. Think about it this way, Chris. Let's say that you buy a Honda Civic, a $20,000 Honda Civic. Uh, the customer is not going to pay full list, which the dealership at that point will make $1,600. So they want $1,000 off. At, at the point that they give you $1,000 off, that is left the dealership with $600. Then they have to pay the salesperson $250. That leaves you with $350 there. And from there, they have to pay the receptionist, turn the lights on, you know, pay for the utilities, pay for the phone, pay for the internet. Cars today, Chris, are such a commoditized uh, market that selling a car is the price to pay to stay in business. It's like printers. You don't make money on the printers themselves, you make money on the maintenance, you make money on the paper, you make money on the ink, but on the cars themselves, you, there isn't a lot of profit to be made. Greg, is there a bigger profit margin on a used car? There used to be, not anymore. And I can tell you why that is not a thing anymore. Because we are in, I love the fact that this is an actual fact. We are in a free market. If you charge too much money on the internet for your vehicle, the car just won't sell. And it will just sit there because right now you can enter a query on Google and it will give you hundreds and hundreds of results that match your criteria. And guess what people buys first? The cars that are the cheapest. So the guys that are trying to hold off for thousands and thousands of dollars of profit, they will never sell those cars because then you have other dealerships that believe in the velocity principle that, you know, it's not so much in how much money you make per deal as opposed to how many times you can sell that car. And, you know, the, the profit margins are relative. So, no, it's not the case anymore. Is it more likely that somebody will make more money in a used car? Maybe, but that's no longer true. It's no longer true. All right, Greg. Well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about. That is for sure. So let's kind of just change the pace here as we're getting towards the end. What unusual story or off-the-wall car selling story do you have with over 27 years of experience in that automotive industry. You must have something unusual that has it, happened. It is it, it is unusual. <laughs> and uh, I honestly, you will need a whole show for me to tell you all the things <laughs> that I have experienced here. Perfect. But, um, the first one that comes to mind that I, I find it hilarious. Let's say if I go to a social gathering and people don't know who I am or what I do. When I tell people that I'm an ex-Canadian military person, they always say to me, Thank you for your service. How was that? And they, are, they seem very interested in talking to you. And in the same party, I go to another group of people and they ask me, what is it that I do? And I say, I'm a car salesperson. Everyone immediately don't believe anything that I say. <laughs> it's, a, it's, the, it's the strangest thing, Chris. And uh, I think that the car industry has done a terrible job uh, pushing forward intellectuals, pushing forward think tanks that actually want to have an honest conversation about what goes on in the car dealership. And I think that the time has come for that perception to change. I think that there's a lot of dealers in the GTA, Chris, that are working really, really, really hard to change that perception. I'm proud to call myself one of them and that if I can help in any way through the radio show on TSN 1050, by all means. I want to thank you profusely, uh, Chris, for having me here on the show and think of my opinion as being uh, important. And, uh, you know, anytime, just say the words and I'll be right here with you to uh, help your uh, your clients and listeners. 
Yeah, I really, really appreciate you having you on. And there's so much here that we're going to have to definitely do a second show because I know I'm going to I'm going to have quite a few listeners that are going to be interested in finding out more because this is this is a big a, yeah, a big uh, deal. I won't be more than happy to help. And I look forward to you choking me out again soon and teaching me all your knowledge <laughs> once we can get back on the mats. <laughs> I'm already back on the mats, man. We're waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Greg. No problem. My pleasure. All right. Thanks, Greg. Greg Carrasco and, of course, our own Chris Rowe of Three Hats Financial. For more episodes and a follow-up to this one, too, of Chris's podcast, The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth, use the subscribe button on this page. You can also share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Investment Corporation. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.